Church, it's good to be back with you and good to be back in the pulpit after a bit of a break. I appreciate the opportunity to teach this morning and, and to just spend some time together with you in God's Word. This morning, we're going to be talking about a church planter, a missionary, a person who loved the Lord and pursued Him with, with all of his heart. It was a man who gave up a lot of good things in one season in order to pursue something better in a new season of life. We're actually going to be talking about the Apostle Paul this morning. But reading about Paul and thinking about how we wanted to open the, the discussion this morning with Scripture, I was reminded of a modern example of some of the things that, that were on Paul's heart and some of the reasons that he did what he did. And, and this person, it's, it's not as dramatic of a story by any stretch of the imagination, but it's someone who followed Paul's example to trade something good for something much better. It's an example of sacrifice that I really admire and kind of defines what it means to sacrifice and to make a different choice. The man that I'm talking about was a veteran, a successful businessman, he raised four children. He, he watched all of them get married, uh, get baptized, and just, uh, just a, a good all-around God-loving man, uh, a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in his church. And, and when he reached retirement age, what he should have done what he should have done is take it easy. He should have gone and bought some of the toys that you buy when you reach retirement. He should have slept in a little bit in the mornings. He should have taken some nice vacations. He should have gotten an RV or a boat or something that, that people do at that age in life. And goodness knows his golf game was abysmal, and he should have worked on that at least a little bit. But instead of going fishing, this guy, he got invested in a mission project in Ghana, West Africa. And then he started going all the time and recruiting other people to go with him and, and looking at all of the opportunities where God was working. And then he raised tens of thousands of dollars and he spent the money on airfare and mosquito nets and diesel fuel and supplies and materials and stacks and stacks of Bibles in several different languages. And, and he invested all of this time and energy in the people of Ghana, and he's working in tough conditions, and there's no air conditioning, and you eat beans and rice, and, and instead of taking cruises, he's, he's going to the nations. Uh, he was exposed to malaria multiple times, and as he got older, that became more of a risk, and he kept going anyway, and instead of doing some of these things that are comfortable and convenient and easy, he did things that were hard, but in his mind, they were better. Than, than the other options. And th this, this person is a mentor to me, a very influential person in my life. And, I, you know, that's the teaser. It's my dad. And, and he mentored me and encouraged me and, and led me um, to become the kind of the person that I am and to shape my ministry. And I, I was able to get him to join us this summer for one of the episodes of the DBC podcast. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, Pastor Gary McIntyre put that together um, last, last summer and did a great video podcast series. We were able to get my dad on for um, a little bit of an interview. And so I wanted you to, to see just a, just a little excerpt of that, if you would. What has been your experience with the exposure level that people have to who Jesus is? How different is it from, say, being in Florida and talking to people about Jesus versus being in Ghana and talking about Jesus? Well, of course, it's really very different. And we were in a tribal culture of the Konkomba tribe in the northeastern part of uh, Ghana. Those people were animistic. Um, 
They didn't know the God that we know. And, they, and they're looking for something different. I never saw a movement of the Holy Spirit like I've seen in Africa in response to uh, the gospel. Did you get involved with the tribal leaders, or how did you work your way into their culture? Well, there's a ministry in Yindi, and it's a native ministry, but it's Baptist-oriented, part of the Ghana Baptist Convention. And we were drawn into that ministry, and they were starting churches at a phenomenal rate. They'd send out teams, and we came back having started 10 churches in a week. Wow. And I tell pastors that that I know back in Virginia about this, and they say, it's taken me a lifetime to start four churches. That's not possible. And one of my friends went. Uh, on a mission trip with me, and he said, I didn't think this was real, but this is real. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit across all of Western Africa, including Liberia, and it's uh, it's just amazing to to see it. Gary, I had a question for my dad, if I could add one. Sure, go ahead. Why get on a plane and go to Africa? Why Why not go down the street and uh, minister to somebody that's down at the MARTA station? Well, uh, even in my home church, I, I, I've heard that comment. But I go back to Acts eight, and Jesus said, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We have to be in all four places, which is everywhere, locally wider and statewide, national, international. The gospel needs to go wherever there's a human being. Well, it kind of reminds me of at one point where Jesus was telling his disciples, you will do greater things than I. And it's like... That whole conversation is on Dunwoody Baptist's YouTube channel, if you'd like to watch the whole thing. And it's, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I'm a little bit appalled by that yellow shirt. It's, um, that was, I didn't pick it out. I'm going to drive home separate today. Over the past several years, I have enjoyed watching my father transition from a provider and a parent to a legacy builder. It started about 15, maybe 20 years ago, and he did just a little bit at a time that he would begin to sort of adjust the pace that he was working on the farm where he was in business with his brothers. He began to do a little bit less, work not quite as late as he used to, and he did more coaching than he did operating the equipment. And and then in in more recent years, he's begun to shift his attention away from farm operations um, towards new priorities. He put all four of us kids through college. But I remember this moment when he walked my little sister down the aisle at her wedding, and she's the youngest. And then at the reception, he says, just real casual, he says, you know, son, today I've done the very last thing that I need to do in this life. Everything else I do from here on is gravy. And 
he would actually be appalled if he saw the first part of this sermon here because he really doesn't want it to be about him. And, and I'm not trying to make it about him, but his example was such an influence for me um, that I wanted to just tell you a little bit about kind of where I come from and, and the experiences that I've had um, that shaped me into who I am. This summer, I turned 50 years old. And, okay, show of hands, parents, if you know the joy of writing the last tuition check, can you, can you raise your hands? Yeah, yeah. So, so I enjoyed that way more than I thought I was going to. On, on Wednesday, I wrote Taylor's last tuition check, and it was a really satisfying moment to hit send on that, and, and it was done. Sarah and I are in this empty nest season, and it's been really, really, really good, um, strange but good. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning, and quite unexpectedly, beginning to see things a little bit differently than I used to. I'm, I'm thinking a little bit more about how I spend my time and, and what's a priority and what's not anymore. And full respect to the older people in the room, I qualify for Social Security in like 12 years. And, and Social Security is for old people. And, and so that's been a little bit of an adjustment. And you know what? That landed differently in the other service. Uh, <laughs> Okay. All right. Now now we're going to be serious, right? But one of the reasons that my dad is my hero is that he modeled what it looked like to sort of recalibrate and to look back, to look back at the things that are done, the things that are accomplished, the things that can't be changed, and then to look around in the present and to say, I'm going to make some new choices, some choices, some better choices for the future. And he could have eased up, taken a step back, slept in, but instead, he, my dad looked around and said, there's something more important, there's a higher priority, there's actually something better that I could choose. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning as, as we look into God's Word. And church, all of us have had these kinds of experiences where, where we get a chance to stop, just take a quick pause, and to look back and to reflect on what's happened look around in the present and then make choices for the future. And we do that, students, we do that at all ages. You know, how many high school graduations have you been to where somebody pulled out an excerpt of Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? Everybody, everybody, whether you know it or not, has heard that somewhere and in some context, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And it's a whole book about making big milestones Stopping, looking around, taking inventory, and then making significant decisions about what's next. To say, this is not good, but this is better, and to make those choices. Young couples do this as they buy their first house or bring that first baby home from the hospital. Now, I had it when I dropped my oldest child off at college. It was you, you all remember, it was, it was during the midst of COVID, you know, just a couple months after COVID started, and, and we had to pull up to the curb. We got like 45 minutes to drop the kid off, throw all her stuff on the curb, and then drive away. It was, it was kind of awful, and, and I'm, I'm just being brutally honest with you. I ugly cried for 40 miles on the way home, and I'm, I'm not even ashamed to tell you, and it was awful, um, but we've all experienced this moment where something happens there's a transition, and then we have a time of reflection. And, and when I dropped Taylor off, uh, Sarah and I dropped her off at, at school, 
Um, I was in my head for several days just kind of thinking about what was new and what was different and, and how that would be. But we look back, we look at where we've been, and, and then we think about where we're going in these, in these moments of transition, and ideally we form a new understanding. We get a little clarity, a little perspective, and hopefully we choose something better for ourselves. And that's really important. It's part of our growth and development as followers of Christ that we pause, we look around, we take inventory, and then we make some new choices. And we find examples of this in Scripture as well. We're going to study in Philippians. We're continuing that series that we've been on. The Apostle Paul is in a time of reflection as he writes this letter to the church. He's making peace with his past. He's considering the present, and then he's thinking about what lies ahead. And so we're going to go to God's Word this morning now to to see what it says about looking back, looking around, and looking ahead. Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, and I really encourage you to to pull out your Bible if you have it or a digital version of it, but let's spend some time in God's Word this morning. I I will have the words on the screen, but sometimes it's a little better to, to look at your own copy. We're continuing this series, The Giving Life, and we're talking about the gain of sacrifice. And a quick recap on the series so far. In the last couple of weeks, Pastor Jackson has covered a number of these details, but the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in the city of Rome. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul is writing to this church that's over in the city of Philippi. And Paul had planted that church about 10 years ago. And he has always had a special affection for this community. And as we see in the previous chapters of of the text, they've sent support to him. They've uh, offered encouragement while he's incarcerated. And and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, that Paul has, over the last couple of chapters of this book, has been talking about unity. He's been talking about humility and grace. And last week, he talked about the generosity of the church. We call it the partnership of generosity particularly as the church ministered to Paul during his time of incarceration. But as we look into this morning's text, the tone of the letter shifts a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to highlight that as we study. Let's look at God's Word together. Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again is no trouble for me, and it's a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. See what I mean about a little shift in the tone? Back in chapter 2, Paul's thanking the church and commending his friend Epaphroditus. Then he writes in verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. There's a little encouragement. But then, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for mutilators of the flesh. You know, sometimes when you study Scripture, there's a backstory to it, and, and sometimes the backstory is really, really important to our understanding of what's happening in God's Word, and that's definitely the case here. You see, Paul has gotten word of a problem inside the church, and he's writing a letter to his people to kind of clear some things up. And, and the church has a group of Jewish converts who've joined that church at Philippi. They've become Christians and then become part of that fellowship. But as other new members have come into the church, this group of Jewish converts has insisted that each new person has to basically convert to Judaism 
in order to follow Jesus. They want the, the new people to observe the customs and the festivals and the feasts, including circumcision, in, in order to be part of that fellowship. Basically, you need to fully convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. And Paul has been dealing with this problem for a decade. If you look all the way back in the book of Acts, chapter 15, that's the first really good church fight where a bunch of believers had a strenuous disagreement, and Paul had to wade into the middle of that thing and explain how it was. And again, it was the same problem. Jewish converts insisting that Gentiles and Greeks and others have to become a Jew in order to become a follower of Christ. And you can feel Paul's irritation as he's discussing this. Again, same old argument that he's dealt with in the past. And he's like, no, y'all, stop, no. And so this time he's going to use some stronger language. And so he calls these people dogs and evil workers and mutilators. Now, there's some modern equivalents to those phrases, but we're in church and I'm not going to tell you what they are. But trust me when I tell you, we're not talking about a tricolor cockapoo that sits in your lap, right? We're, we're talking about some nasty, mangy scavenger of garbage. And that's what Paul's calling these people because he's already dealt with them a couple of times. Now the text continues, if you follow me, in verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although... I once also had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, and regarding the righteousness that's in the law, blameless. Now, remember what I said about sometimes you hit these moments in life where you pause and you stop and you reflect, you look around, you look back, you consider the present, and then you you look ahead. That's what Paul is doing right here in this moment. I'm going to paraphrase that because it was a lot and it was pretty dense, but I'll paraphrase. Paul's saying, if you think Judaism will get you where you need to go, you need to think again. And then he goes on to list his credentials. He was born into the right family. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin, which was a highly regarded tribe in Israel. Verse 5, his family observed every custom, every ritual, every rule, all to the letter. And then Paul went through all the formal training. He trained under a famous rabbi named Gamaliel. That's Acts chapter 5. He was named a Pharisee at a very young age. So in summary, Paul has done all the stuff, had all the stuff, accomplished all the stuff, ticked all the boxes. You literally cannot go further in Judaism than Paul did. He was investing his time and his energy and all of this effort doing the stuff to earn the favor of people, and he thought earning the favor of God. And all that begs the question, how did it turn out? Verse 7 tells us, but everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. And more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying to this group of believers that he loves in Philippi, hey, listen, guys, if this was about performance, 
If it was about doing the right things and it was about knowing the right people and it was about connections and credentials, I did it. Full Roman citizenship, got it. Resources, I got plenty. Access to all the power players, check. Best schools, I, I was so good they made me the teacher. Verse 8, Paul calls all of these things a loss. And, and then he goes on to say that because of what he's seen and experienced and accomplished, he considers all of that filth, just utterly useless. He's all that energy that doesn't matter. The things that he used to do, the things that used to be important to him, they don't matter in God's economy. You see, in God's economy, can, uh, you cannot earn redemption for what you do because you'll never be good enough. In God's economy, you can't earn righteousness because you can't be good enough. In God's economy, you can't approach the Father with rituals and diets and, and procedures and customs and festivals and fasting and cutting things off because you can't earn God's favor. And so all of Paul's effort, it just doesn't matter. None of that earned him a single eternal reward. And so Paul is saying, people, just stop. And then we come to this phrase in verse 8. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. In the past several years, Paul has been arrested, chased, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, arrested, shipwrecked again, and arrested again. He's lost his position. He's lost his friends. He's lost his credentials. He's been disinherited by his family. He's currently in prison, and he's just about to lose his citizenship. And despite all of that, he persists in this course of action to gain Christ. In verse 9, and not just to gain Christ, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The only thing that Paul cares about in this moment as he writes this letter to the people that he loves is to be in relationship with Christ and to pursue the closeness and the intimacy and the connection to God the Father, and not to know about Jesus, but to know Jesus, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. You see, Paul has looked back, he's looked around, and he's now looking ahead, and he's choosing something better than his old life, that his end goal as he writes this letter, should be our end goal, that knowing that there is a final judgment at the end of this life and knowing that there is another life to follow this one and knowing that eventually, church, this is important. I want you to hear me. Knowing that at the end of this life, you sit down with the Lord and you watch a highlight reel of your own life, the stuff you made, the decisions you made, the places you went, the people you hung out with, the choices that came from all of that, it's all going to be on your highlight reel and you will sit down with the Lord and watch that film someday. And writing to his friends in Philippi, Paul's having this moment of clarity, and there's something that just needs to be said, and that's what he says. Ritual Judaism, with its traditions and regulations, is like a teaspoon of water when you're dying of thirst. 
It hints at what you need. It's not very satisfying and will never be enough. And so Paul is telling that church, don't go down that road. It is through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that you are saved, and there is nothing else that's part of that formula. And so after bringing the heat, Paul brings it down a little bit and offers some encouragement. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already reached that goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. These are the words of a man who who knows what he does and knows what he does not have the power to do. He had absolutely everything. He had what he needed. He had the prestige and the power and the influence and the stuff. He had the stuff. Paul was winning at life in his old life. And then in Acts chapter 9, he has this encounter with the risen Lord on the Damascus Road. And suddenly he's caught between these two opposing forces. I like images like this because they capture the tension. The pull of old priorities and old agendas and all of the good stuff, old ways of thinking. And then, and then on the other side, this new call to follow Christ, to pursue him at all costs and, and, and to seek something better. And I'll tell you, church, if you want to know where somebody's heart is, watch them make a big decision. Paul had what he thought was the best life before. And why give it all up? Prestige, power, influence, money, all the stuff. Because he has this moment of clarity on that Damascus road, and he found something much better. He's saying, I'm not perfect, but now I know what perfect looks like, and I know where I'm going, and I'm going to do everything I can to seek the goodness of God and to claim a relationship with Him and to spend eternity with Him and to get rid of everything else that gets in the way of that. That's what Paul wanted for his friends at Philippi, and that's why he wrote the letter, and that's why God's Word still speaks to us today. We're going to close with verse 15. Paul says, if you're a mature follower of Christ, this is how you should think. And if you have a different view on these things, God will eventually reveal the truth to you. Church, these these moments of reflection don't come along very often, but but we all have them at some point. And if you're not in one right now, you're going to be eventually. And when that moment hits for you, for me, for for each of us, when you have one of those moments of reflection that catches up to you, Will you look back and will you see things that you're proud of? Will you see efforts in relationships and time and investments that were healthy and good? Or is there a lot of stuff back there that doesn't matter? And that begs the next couple of questions. What about the present? How are you spending your time now? What are you putting your time and effort and energy into? How are you investing? How are you offering encouragement? How are you blessing someone else with the time you've been allotted? And church, I'll tell you, it's, it's easy to spend time on things that don't matter. We all do it. I'm very, very guilty of it. But today might be a good day for an inventory 
and then to look back, look at the present, and then choose something better for the near future. These, these moments of reflection, they really are gifts, and we should embrace them when they happen. Look back, look around, and look ahead. In a couple of weeks, two weeks, two weeks from today, there's a group of men from Dunwoody Baptist Church who are headed to West Africa, and we're going to be sharing some new technology uh, for irrigation, and, and it's going to change the way our Liberian mission partners grow food in a place that's having food security issues. We're going to go and teach our friends how to fish, as the, as the saying goes. Well. My, my dad mentioned this passage in Acts Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he went on to say that wherever people are, the gospel must go there too. Many years ago, my beloved mentor, my dad, um, weighed his options and he thought about what he could do, what he could do in his retirement, what he could do with those resources, and he chose something better than leisure. And, And in two weeks, I go to the nations with brothers in Christ because I learned some things from him that inspired me and showed me where God was at work. And and then I had a bit of a vision for how we could do that too here at DBC. And so we're going and and we're inviting other people to come along with us. And, And it's my prayer that as they come, they will catch the vision and then make their own choices that will continue that work into the future. Church, I spent years pursuing things that didn't matter. But I want to spend the next season of my life on things that really, really do. And what matters today, family, is what you do tomorrow. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves earthly treasure where moth and rust will destroy it and where thieves will break in and steal it, but collect for yourselves heavenly treasure where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. And then a little bit later in that passage, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be added unto you. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. If you're wrestling with some of the things that I've said this morning, you've got some questions about your own journey, about where you are and what's next. I want to have a conversation with you out in the lobby. I'm going to be right out there. Pastor Jackson will be out there in the lobby and some of our, our other pastors. But if you're feeling like you're in a season of transition and you've got some heavy things going on, don't leave here today without talking to one of the pastors. We'll sit down, we'll have a cup of coffee, we'll schedule some time, and we'll speak into whatever you're experiencing. Church, will you join me in a word of prayer as we close? Heavenly Father, it is such a sweet thing to be in your word with brothers and sisters as we seek your face, as we reflect on where we've been and what we've got going and what lies ahead. God, I pray for clarity and for discernment as you speak to us through your spirit and reveal the work that you've given each of us, that you've prepared each of us for, that you've equipped each of us for. And so, God, I pray for that. I thank you for the blessing it is to be in fellowship in this sweet place. I pray that it has been pleasing to your ears, Lord, and that you would bless each of us as we head out into the mission field. 
We ask your blessings on this time now as we say goodbye. In Jesus' name, amen.